Nightmerica is an independently produced podcast. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash nightmerica. And please tell your friends about us. Welcome to Nightmerica, a podcast that takes you on a tour of the abnormal, paranormal, weirdly true, and truly weird in every corner across this nation. Because, to paraphrase Ray Parker Jr., whether it's ghosts, aliens, monsters, or monstrous humans, there's something strange in your neighborhoods. Episode 29. Must be the season of the witch. Do you get that reference? Nope, not remotely at all. What's it from? It's it's the from the song, the Donovan song, the nineteen sixty six song, the Season of the Witch. Good nope. one of the an amazing guitar riff, like I'm not gonna do it. Well maybe I'll do it like it's literally what I was listening to the whole time I was researching this episode because it is a great song it's a great halloween song it's also one of the first psychedelic songs technically and hmm. and look and yeah so yeah i, I guess we should probably introduce ourselves because i'm aaron sagers from <laughs> paranormal caught on camera and paranormalpopculture.com and as always joined by my excellent co-host Who's going to say your name? <laughs> you did that on purpose. 29 episodes in. Is this 29 or is this 30? Uh, I thought it was 29. Okay, you're probably right. Maybe not. I'm a writer. I'm a, not a numbers guy. <laughs> numbers are for losers. I am the numbers I, person. Actually, I, numbers are not for losers. I envy people who like numbers. Uh, and yeah, so here we are. Here we are. 29. We're talking about witches. And yeah, really, seriously, I'm going to say that you need to listen to the Donovan song, Season of the Witch. It's okay. literally, it is one of the, one of my favorite songs, but also, yeah, it's a great Halloween song. Good enough for Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin used to do sound checks to it. They would oh. warm up playing, playing Donovan, Season of the Witch. That's cool. I'll it's listen. It's just this amazing guitar riff. Uh, I believe Lana Del Rey remade it last year for the Guillermo del Toro produced movie, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Oh, no, but I wanted to. Yeah. Our listeners must think that I I live in a hole. Because I've never seen anything. I've never heard anything. (laughs) Well, maybe. Maybe I do. Convince them otherwise. All right. Or. You know, you can quiz me on things, and I can be, I can be woefully ignorant of some of the things that you'll bring okay. to the table. But, but I do recommend the Donovan song. So yeah, before we get into our topic, spoiler, it's about witches. But let's get some. New, this is our second kind of Halloweeny episode mm-hmm. of Halloween season. Of course, I guess when you're a paranormal and it's true always crime spooky podcast, season. But before we get to that, let's get to some news. News of the weird and wild and whatever. 
What What's your news item? So, my news this episode is, like, everything I love combined into one. So, the Netherlands had their first funeral with a living coffin. Um, Bob Hendricks of Living Cocoon created a coffin out of mycelium, which is the fibers that form underneath the mushrooms, like the underground spot of the mushrooms. Um, The article that I read in The Guardian calls it nature's recycler because the material constantly looks for waste products like oil and plastic and turns them into like earth-friendly nutrients. Um, And so everything, including like the coffin, which is made of natural materials, will decompose within two to three years. Whereas regular coffins with the metal and varnish and like our synthetic fiber clothing can take a bare minimum of 10 years to even start to disintegrate. Um, So this is like so cool. A living coffin. Would you be buried in it? No, because I don't (laughs) want to be buried. I want to be either either cremated and just like dumped somewhere or I want my mummified corpse propped up in a tiki bar somewhere. Ew. uh, Holding a... Holding a zombie glass. Like Elmer McCurdy. And an Aloha shirt. Yes, but in a tiki bar. Okay. And and then maybe put a tip jar next to me. And people could put little money or whatever in their offerings. Whatever. All right. So, but now with this living grave, will they... One of the problems I... One of the things... One of the reasons why I don't want to be buried is that it's just taking up space. Total take up of space. And... So with this, will they be able to reuse that plot? Yes. Is that the plan? Yes. It would, like, compost and turn into, like, back to natural earth. I mean, that would take a while. But within two to three years, like... It's really starting to get close, so I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, is, I'm not big on burial is he getting either. A, does he get a headstone? Uh, it didn't say, but I'm gonna guess probably not. Yeah, because so in New Orleans and the above ground necropolis concept, the idea is that you're reusing a plot that basically Mother Nature and the humidity of places like New Orleans, you you put a body in there and it over the course of a year and a day is sort of what the the story has that the heat and humidity of New Orleans cooks the body basically <gasps> it's a nature's crematorium and then at the end of that you can basically shuffle off all of those ashes to the back of the above ground cemetery all those ashes fall down below and then you can boom bing bang boom you got a fresh cemetery fresh oven to to shove your body in so wow i didn't know about that does it smell does it smell i don't know i've never really stuck around long enough to find out but i doubt it because it is sealed up it's an above ground it's it's these neighborhoods of the dead they're pretty cool so my story is topical and so I don't know if you've if you've heard this, you probably have. You're a well-read person, but our president Trump 
Hopefully for not longer. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say that. Hate to make things political. Actually, I don't hate to th- make things political. I'm okay with making things political. Yeah. But he's trying to ban TikTok. Well, you know what? That could impact more than just Gen Z that wants to share memes, dance moves, funny videos. And in fact, it could impact a popular community on the site, according to the Chicago Tribune, known as Witch Talk. So TikTok is actually a place for witches to teach their craft, I suppose, pun intended, and debunk misconceptions. And under the hashtag Witch Talk, practitioners offer advice to young people interested in witchcraft. And the app serves as something of a primer for people on the platform. And it allows for a way to get into the topic without, you know, as sort of like a beginning stage of research. But more than that, there can even be some of these creators that use Witch Talk, offer tutorials on how to meditate, how to create a space at home for rituals how to move about different forms of witchcraft or focusing on plants or cooking, things like that, or whether it's more of the religious route or what Wicca means, things like that. So there's a lot of business owners on using this witch talk hashtag as well, such as Chelsea Selby, who has a witch baby soap company in New Jersey. And so she uses it to promote her business and then also connect with the with the audience. So it is interesting that this is impacting a lot of people. So we'll see how this plays out. But I found it to be an interesting topical news item for for what we're doing here. I had no idea that there was like such a cool community using TikTok. I'd always been afraid of it because I could never understand Snapchat, so I just felt like I was out of the loop with TikTok. But now maybe I'll join, because that's kind of cool. I can't say that I post on TikTok, but I do keep track of it. And actually, there are a lot of interesting paranormal videos that are emerging on TikTok. So All right. it's kind of a cool platform. Yeah, that's so cool. Don't, don't be afraid of it, Britt. You're a young millennial. You can... <laughs> figure these things out i know but i couldn't figure out snapchat at all yeah well snapchat's stupid yeah but tiktok is kind of cool okay i'll try so, it right give it a try it's should actually we have a nightmare for tiktok no should we do a dance but... oh my god aaron let's do a dance no <laughs> join I our patreon that... to watch aaron do a dance i have a majority of my personal and professional life has been spent avoiding people capturing video or documenting my poor dancing, and I plan on continuing that that trend. There is some videos out there, sort of as rare as Bigfoot videos, like there's the Patterson-Gimlin tape of me dancing poorly. And I am seeking to find every digital copy of it and destroy it. But you will never see me, unless I'm doing the Carlton dance. I can do that quite well, which is actually disturbingly close to my real dancing. But All right, great. Can we post that know, to the Patreon? No. 
No, I, I, in no uncertain terms, will I ever, maybe to save someone's life, maybe if a gun is being held to someone's head and they say, dance, Aaron, dance, assuming I really like that person, I might do a little jig to save that, save, but no, you're not going to see it. It's not. It's not social media fodder. I even feel uncomfortable talking about my poor dancing this long. Sorry, so everybody. Yeah. They will be sorry if they saw it. Right now I can preserve an air of mystery. Maybe maybe I'm a good dancer and I'm just hiding it. Once there's video document, you'll you know, there's no hiding hiding it. True. Anyhow. So what's a witch? What what is a witch? Uh, how do you how do you define witches? I think it's an interesting question because we just say witch, and then it everybody has a different idea in their head. Yeah, I mean it's a it's an intense topic. I grew up, as we know, in like a very alternative medicine household. My mom's a yoga teacher. My aunt is a professional tarot card reader, um, and so I was always kind of around these earth mama type women. So to me, like the magic of the earth and, you know, kind of using our intuitive abilities kind of to me was the definition of a witch. And then as I got older and I got really into feminism and I learned how, you know, so much of the Salem witch trials and so much of, you know, women being attacked for being witches was, a fear of female power. And it's not just that. I mean, obviously there's warlocks and a whole bunch of other stuff too, but I mean, that's just what my kind of growing up definition of being a witch was. Did you go around singing the Eagle song, witchy woman? No. Witchy woman. We need a playlist for this episode. See how high she fly. Uh, uh, eyes. She's got the moon in her eye. Uh, uh, eye. I'm not going to sing anymore unless we get like some sort of copyright yeah, yeah. notice. But yeah, the, there's a lot of witch songs. Not all, not all of them are nice, but well, I think that's a good point because there are, we say witches, but that encompasses a lot. Mm-hmm. There's witches, cottage witches, witches that focus, kitchen witches, sea witches, the idea of the witch. Actually, already in 35 BC, the idea of the stereotype, the negative stereotype of witches had already been fully cemented of witches having false teeth and wigs that are howling over dead bodies. The Horace Horace wrote about that in the satires and the and then the idea of Wicca really, based on my understanding, came to be cemented in nineteen fifty four with a book called Witchcraft Today, and that was a guy named Gerald Gardner who talked about Wicca and his time in a coven, although a lot of people suggest, well, critics suggest that a lot of that was his own invention mm. of of these rituals and whatnot. But in every continent, every inhabited continent, every culture different names, different belief systems, but some something like witches exist. And to your point, I think it's noteworthy that that 
the practice of witchcraft ebbs and flows, but it seems to rise in tandem with feminist movements, the rise Mm -hmm. of feminism, and also the declining trust in sort of our establishment. Mm -hmm. So witchcraft welcomes all genders, welcomes the disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. And the, like we, I know we're going to get into some of these stories, but there's persecution against witches to this day, whether they're self-identifying witches or accused to be witches happens to this day. Oh, for sure. Even, even in the UK. Yeah. Like, well, even here, but I, I've read a lot of stories about uh, children that have been abused because they were believed to be witches or have some sort of spirit in them. There was, a, uh, I think in 2000, there was a child that was tortured to death because they believed. Oh my God. Yeah. And that's not an isolated case. It's terrible. Yeah. When I was researching the story, there was a lot in Ghana as well. It's just, yeah. it's terrible because so often the people in this like witchcraft community are just trying to do good. You know, they're very focused on nature and healing. It's just upsetting. Well, to, I guess, quote Dorothy, are you a good witch or are you a bad witch? There are good witches. There are bad witches, like everything. Mm-hmm. But, but saying you're a witch does not automatically mean that you're evil or anything it's it's part of a yeah it's part of a belief system and so there were these times now some people just uh, self some people identify as witches and this is kind of a, a, a more modern thing identify as witches in sort of the pop culture sense and use a lot of goth imagery and things like that which is fine too but that's sort of separate from the belief systems Mm -hmm. but not something you would want to do in the burning times which you probably read about during your research for your story the burning times between 16th and 18th century yep guess how many people were how many witches were killed during this time think of crusades spanish inquisition people and and these people that were killed because they were either accused or actually were operating outside of this new christian norm how many people do you think it's got to be killed? thousands seems like the low number is 40,000 wow high number gets up to 100,000 yeah some historians claim up to 9 million. Oh my god. That but even if it is between 40 and 60 and 100,000, we're still talking about genocide. We're still yeah. talking about an attempt to squash which was largely a female autonomous movement and also these people, these poor people remain remain nameless because just kill a witch. Yeah. But also, hate to <laughs> spin on this, but there's also been some comedy that's been associated with it, like in Monty Python's uh, The Search for the Holy Grail, where, have you seen that one? I think I have. She's a witch, burn her. Yeah. And they were like, how do you know she's a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt. 
But I got better. Does that ring a bell? No. It's a great movie. Okay. But I also could have seen it and just don't remember it. I have the memory of Swiss cheese. Yeah. Swiss cheese memory. That's um, Scott Bakula in um, Quantum Leap had that. Oh. Which is a odd tangent to bring up, but it is. something that I remember. <laughs> when <laughs> I would think always of... say, like that, I think I thought that's where the Swiss cheese memory expression came from. Oh, I don't know. I just think of it because it's got holes, and my memory has holes. But when I hear Swiss cheese, I think of the Swiss cheese pervert. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Forgot about that guy. Very impractical. Waste of dairy product. <laughs> Total waste of dairy product. Swiss cheese is delish. Yes. It's good on a sandwich. It's not good on your junk. Ew. Ew. Or if it is, do it consensually. But, <laughs> so the Atlantic had a piece on the rising trend of witchcraft, and that came out just March this year, and it kind of didn't get as much attention as it should have, because then we had the whole pandemic thing. Mm-hmm. But, as a segue into your story, though, I kind of want to... What do you what do you think classifies witch hunt? Because in politics these days, or even just in pop culture, people throw around the term witch hunt. Oh, it's a witch hunt. I'm being persecuted. I think at least for what like I've read through of Salem is people pick a solution that fits them and then finds there's a special word for it, but it's like you have that tunnel vision where any answer has to do with what you want the answer to be. Oh my God, I'm describing, I'm explaining this so horribly. Well, I I think you're on the right track because, so the Salem Witch Museum, I've, if, I've been to Salem multiple times. It's, it's a really interesting place because... Have you been there yet? No, and I want to go so bad. This is the time to go. I know. I'm well, off we record for this. Halloween. I should go up. Yeah, well, get your reservations now, because it's quite the popular place. True that. But, but the Salem Witch Museum has an exhibit about sort of witch, witch hunts throughout history, and they describe their formula for a witch hunt is fear plus a trigger equals a scapegoat. Ah, yes, that's perfect. So, if you are being investigated for perhaps, oh, I don't know, if you're being investigated or accused of collusion with a foreign government and you're being (laughs) investigated for that, that's not a witch hunt. However, if perhaps people are saying... They're afraid of a changing world or a changing economy, and they start blaming, oh, I don't know, immigrants or, let's say, Mexicans or Muslims or transgendered people or whatever for some sort of problem, then suddenly that's that becomes a witch hunt when you start going after those people. Yep. Scapegoat. Define a person who is a scape- Yeah, they're the scapegoat. They're, yeah. the, they're the person unfairly or irrationally accused of something. They're the object of blame. Yeah. So, kids, let's get, let's remember, let's not throw around witch hunt, considering between 40 and 
hundred thousand people or more died during actual witch hunts during yeah. the burning times. Um, and so, including in our country. So, why don't we get into your story? I know this is a, this was a long winded way of getting it backing into this this topic and, and getting into this your story, but I don't know. I we have fun in pop culture with witches, mm-hmm. but I don't want to. I want to make certain we also don't <laughs> like that we're not also kind of contributing to the witch. Totally. We want by... to be respectful. Right. So, yeah. Well, I, so what's your story? My story is on a specific couple who were victims of the witch hunt in Salem. I, like everyone else, I'm sure is fascinated by the Salem witch trials But even despite the fact that, like, I have always been interested, I didn't know that much about it. Um, So digging into it for me, instead of hearing a lot of names and a lot of people, I wanted to kind of zone in on one particular person's journey to help me kind of wrap my head around what happened, because it's a lot. Is this Um, the story of Giles Corey? Yes. Is that how you pronounce it, Giles? Yes. Okay. I was reading it as Giel. Nope. Okay. I mean, you can say it that way. He's, I know. I'm he's probably going to say it wrong in the story. So just everyone bear with me. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to, I mean, I don't want to speak for Giles, but on to the pressing topic. On Let's to the get topic. to the story. Um, so yeah, this is Giles and Martha Corey, uh, his wife. Martha was one of the last women hung in the Salem witch trials. Her birth year is a little bit unsure, um, because records were hard to find during that time, but it's anywhere between 1611 and 1620, uh, which most guesses being around like 1618. Um, prior to her marriage to Giles, Martha had two children, one out of wedlock that was mixed race. It's unclear if the father was black or Native American. Um, and the other was with her first husband. Giles was a wealthy farmer in Salem, and Martha um, and him married, and he allowed her to bring her previous children into his home. They established a life that included a really strong belief in God and regular church visits. Um, They also got along well because they both had kind of secretive pasts. Martha had her son out of wedlock, Gasp, and Giles uh, had actually been on trial for murdering one of his farmhands. He was convicted, but due to his like kind of wealthy nature in the town, he got off with no jail time and just paid a fine. So kind of checkered past, but, you know, they found God and were kind of living their lives in Salem. So the Salem witch trial started, and I didn't know this, I guess, um, but because teenage girls in town were experiencing seizures and vomiting and blamed it on locals, saying they had been cursed by witches. The ear gut. That, that's part of it. it also, they, this is the whole thing with the Salem witch trials, is that there's that then there is this the so no official court records exist to my to my understanding there are a lot of documents but mm-hmm. there seems to be also a suggestion that there was essentially some rivalries 
between some of the girls and the families. And then there's the story of Tichuba, who was mm-hmm. much maligned, who was possibly a, a, a practitioner of, of certain belief systems from Barbados. But anyhow, sorry, go on. Yeah. No, I appreciate you because I know you know a lot about this. Um, but one thing I found really interesting in my research is that in recent years, scientists discovered that there is a certain type of fungus in rye yeah. and wheat that can cause seizures and vomiting. And they think that's like highly likely what caused these girls to have this reaction. But they didn't know that back then. So instead, it was like the devil's fault. Yeah, the uh, the ergotism, I yeah. believe it's yeah, and so the, that certainly is part of it. Yeah, it's it, it's the grain of the rye that was infected with with this fungus. But so definitely part of it. Yeah, because it can mimic LSD essentially, even yeah. hallucinations. It's crazy. Lay the lay the Giles. The Giles story continues. Sorry. No, you're fine. In March 1962, he said he wanted to go to the witch trials going on in town, but Martha kind of questioned him on it, went around saying she didn't believe in witches. She didn't believe that the girls were actually like being afflicted, that it was all fake. Um, And in fact, the story says that she hid Giles' saddle because he, she didn't want him bothering with a trial at all and like didn't want him writing down there. Um, of course, the girls and their parents didn't like hearing that, so they claimed that Martha, this outsider who had married into the town, and her husband were practicing witchcraft. Ezekiel Cheever, a school teacher and appointed person in the Salem witch hunts, uh, and Edward Putnam went to find out more about this and ran into Anne Putnam, one of the girls claiming to be pursed, and yes, Edward's daughter. Uh, Feels a little bit like a conflict of interest to me. He asked her what Martha was wearing when Martha's specter visited Anne, and Anne said she was too blinded to see. Okay. Well, Ezekiel went to Martha's house and allegedly she says, I know why you're here. You think I'm a witch, but I'm not. Uh, What did they claim to see me wear? Okay. Again, I don't think I actually believe that's what she said, but that's what Ezekiel claims. And he said it was supernatural that like she knew that he was coming for it. And she knew that they had talked to Anne about the specter and what she'd been wearing. Um, I think he just chose to believe that. Martha never doubted her innocence and said this was all just the hysterics of young girls. The town was actually shocked that Martha was being accused in the first place. She was a church-going woman, um, and while she was new to the area, she was revered as being really pious and not the type of woman that was being accused in most of these things. Um, Martha's arrested a few days later on March 19th and was brought in for her trial. The girls who accused her were sitting in the front row and they're screaming and they're crying, claiming that Martha's attacking them with magic. At one point, one of the girls yells out and claims that someone just whispered in her ear. The judge asks if it was Satan and she says, yes. Okay. I feel like that's him putting his own bias in this case, but whatever. Um, Others claim to see a yellow bird sitting on Martha's hand or flying around her head. They accuse Martha on the stand for praying to the devil outside of the Putnam family home. And with that, she's sent to Salem jail. 
Days later, a woman named Abigail Hobbs is put on trial. She confesses to being a witch and drags Martha and her husband Giles, uh, saying they're also witches. Giles was arrested a month after Martha, and when questioned, he stays mute and refuses to speak. Um, And back then, if you refused to talk, you would be punished by suffocation. Um, So he went to Salem jail and was told to wait until he could experience his punishment. Um, When they were sent to jail, they also were both excommunicated from the church, which if you're a religious woman like Martha, that has to be really crushing. Um, I don't know much about religion, but like that seems like it would prevent you from getting into heaven, I think. Well, I mean, the the Puritan, yeah, yeah, it's it's not a good situation, the, you know, especially during the the Puritan era. Yeah. But, but I do appreciate your use of the word crushing, considering. Oh, my God, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> Whoops. Well, speaking of crushing. Monday, September 19th, Giles is laid down with a board over his chest, and on top of that was put heavy stones and rocks, which began crushing him to death. Um, He actually cried out to have more heavier rocks put on top so his death could come quicker. Uh, He was 80 years old. He died that day and was buried in an unmarked grave in Gallows Hill. Three days later, September 22nd, the very day we are recording this episode, Martha was hung at the gallows along with five other women and two men. She was 72 at her death, and uh, her name was actually cleared of the crime she was accused of in 1954. Um, Her excommunication was also repealed. People were accused in Salem after the Corey's death, but the court no longer allowed spectral evidence uh, in the court cases, so most accusations were founded on nothing, and prisoners were set free. Martha's sons were protected as innocent, um, and they went on to live and inherit their mother's home and belongings, which is good. Um, If you've seen The Crucible, which no shock, I have not, um, but Giles is actually a character in the play. Have you seen it? I've not only seen... Whoa. Oh my god, did you play him? I didn't play Giles, no, but I played Reverend Harris. I've been in the Crucible and and the 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 version starring Daniel Day-Lewis is quite good and there's also a, I believe another version of the Arthur Miller play, but and it, just an incredible incredible play, one of my favorites actually, but yes, I've, I've been in it. Well, Giles is uh, Giles Giles is in it. Yeah. I need to watch it and learn how to say his name. Yeah, it's the like I said, the Daniel Day-Lewis version of it is especially good. And okay. the well I'll, I I don't want to interrupt. Uh, I will add my no, interrupt. crucible thoughts. That's what this podcast is. It's interrupting. I mean, I'm pretty much done. What else do I have oh, to okay. say? The seven years after Mary's hanging, the town had a ton of natural disasters. 
um, or extreme weather conditions, and they started to feel really guilty for what they did. So January 15th, 1697, they had a day of prayer and fasting to honor the victims of the trial and please God. Um, It's a little late, but, you know, maybe they did learn something. Another little bit of local lore, which feels very fitting to the podcast, is that Giles has been seen stalking his gravesite right before there is like a natural disaster or like a fire in the city. Um, so that's just like a fun little bit of ghosty trivia attached to my story. Yeah, the int- so Salem is an interesting place and I've yeah, I've been there multiple times and there are a lot of supposed ghost stories there. It's also the home of the House of the Seven Gables, which is the house associated with the Nathaniel Hawthorne story. But the actual events of the Salem Witch Trials took place in Danvers, Mm -hmm. which is near Salem. What, out of all of these things, this is just a topic that I, it's a big topic, and Mm -hmm. it's, it's one that I find so fascinating. One of the things that's so interesting to me about the town of Salem in 2020 is that if you go there, first off, there's a statue for dedicated to the honor of Samantha from the TV series Bewitched. Oh. Because they had an episode set there, and Love Samantha had a crush, have a crush on Elizabeth Montgomery. She has since passed away, but I have a crush on Samantha from that show. But the town has, I believe, the official seal or the cop cars have an image of a witch on a broom, and it leans heavily into the witch history, and there's a lot of horror wax museums and and obviously a lot of occult shops. And it's an... It's an intriguing scenario because on one hand, they are playing up the town's connection to these this horrible persecution mm-hmm. and death, and it is part of their tourism industry. However, if they were not to do that, then the story could easily just fade away and people yeah. could, could forget about it or or know a lot less about it. and. What's so screwed up is that we don't think about, we don't talk about Margaret Jones, who was the first woman executed for witchcraft. Uh, I don't know if it's in the country, but first person executed for witchcraft in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. That was in 1648 that she was executed. She was hanged. There was no burnings in America, to my knowledge. So no mm-hmm. witch burnings, no burning at the stake. But what's messed up well, out of a lot of things that are messed up, is Reverend Hale, who was John Hale, who was one of the main characters in the trials, the Salem Witch Trials, actually, as a child, witnessed the execution of Margaret Jones in 1648. Mm. And then... Ended up still, he saw him like as a 12 year old, saw saw Margaret Jones executed, and then still went on to take part in the Salem witch trials as one of the people involved. 
he later recant. Eh, he didn't recant. He he later changed his position on some of the the executions after people were already murdered. Yeah, people are already dead. But Fuck you. He blamed he blamed it on demons after the after the fact, but so I roll. Yeah, but well, it is a bit of a fix to absolve yourself. To change the history, absolve yourself without actually taking any kind of responsibility for the part you played in these murders. But, but yeah, Crucible, great play. Not just because I was in it, but great movie as well. Yeah, and I want to see was it. Really, was really a commentary on McCarthyism in America. Mm-hmm. So, but that's that's the. Yeah, it's a it's it's certainly a messed up story. It is. If and... anyone wants to read more, uh most of my sources are I'll post. It's historyofmassachusetts.com, uh history.com and history of american women. And then a little plug for Travel Channel. They have a very good show called The Witches of Salem that covers this too. Yeah. And even though it's a very different thing, it's kind of weird. Again, a pop culture show, Salem. It was a good show, and it leaned more into sort of the horror and supernatural elements of the Salem Witch Trials, really divorced from reality. I mean, Arthur Miller strayed from historical record. This TV show, Salem, was really entertaining, but totally divorced from reality, (laughs) other than using some of the same names. Got it. And, you know, using Proctor and Giles and Abigail, but, but, so it's kind of like if you were i don't know it, it it's kind of weird doing a fictionalized version of of that story when people were actually killed persecuted yeah. murdered anyhow well yeah Giles Corey's story is a good one and and it's also kind of funny like you mentioned that he had a checkered past it's fascinating because the guy lived till he was 80 mm-hmm. which is was impressive for back then totally but but it still doesn't excuse the fact that he was killed for being accused of being a witch. Mm-hmm. Like the his history, whatever criminal element he had in his history, he served his time, didn't serve his time, whatever, it was done. Still, I can't help but think of modern day examples of this where when someone dies horribly or is murdered, that one of the things that sometimes happens is people bring up their their past and that does not excuse not that i'm saying you are saying this no i I agree with what you're saying yeah does not excuse their murder yeah in this way well when george floyd was murdered people were like well he had covid and he it was what what does that have to do with anything like yeah exactly that's precisely what i was thinking is that still does not warrant the death does not warrant the murder so, getting a little heated. Getting a little heated. Understandably so. I'm okay with this. I'm okay with yeah, getting it's heated. It's National but Register to Vote Day, guys. So, register to vote. Register. If you're not vote. already. Okay. So, let's dip. Actually, let's hear a word from one of our sponsors, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about the Bell Witch. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Nightmarica is excited to announce we have a new sponsor, Manscaped. And to talk about the men's grooming kits, we have a really big fan of Manscaped. But not a man, a Sasquatch. From the Florida Everglades, let's welcome Skunk Ape to the show. Thanks for joining, Mr. Ape. Oh, Skunk is fine, just fine. That's uh, that's what my friends call me. Even though you're an elusive cryptid, you're able to have a social life? Oh, sure, sure. Wood booger, yeah, we mow, mow, when to go, mow, galon, we all, we all hang out. Well, that's great. With all those friends, it's probably important to look your best. We take a lot of pride in how we look uh, in the Sasquatch community, especially uh, since, uh, as you can imagine, there ain't a whole heck of a lot of us out there, so it gets pretty darn competitive getting attention from the lady squatches. So the Lawnmower 3.0 from Manscaped has a durable, skin-safe ceramic blade when you groom your, uh, squatchy regions. Don't you know it? That Lawnmower 3.0 holds an edge, so I'm less likely to nick my nugs. It's happened before, and it ain't pretty. There's blood everywhere. Everyone down in the glades heard me howl out that one time. Whoop, whoop! That's what, that's what it sounded like when I nicked my nugs. But not with this Lawnmower 3.0. Dude, that's intense. I have certainly been there. It is no fun at all. Skunky, I imagine grooming down there probably takes a lot of time because you're a pretty big guy. Well, you know what they say about big feet. Big shoes? Big balls! Yep, right, sizable. Sasquasticles. Big old ones. But with them lithium-ion batteries I can charge that puppy up on the USB dock, I can use it for 90 minutes. It's even waterproof, so I can... Fire it up in the glades and take a good long time getting my squashticles right where they needs to be. Well, with that waterproof technology, that's got to be helpful in the glades. Or even for a human like me who uses the shower. Is the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 getting you noticed down there? Only in the right ways. All the lady squatches or, or men, no, no judgment, they take notice. But I can still stay hidden because with that quiet stroke technology... It does not make a lot of noise and attract unwanted look-a-loos. And that's a very important part of the Squatch Code. You gotta stay undercover, you know? I can even groom up my Squashticles in the middle of the night. Cause it's got an LED light on it so you can see where your Patterson and Gimlin are. It's a memorable pair. And speaking of memorable pairs, you also like the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. Well, you might have heard I have a bit of an odor issue, hence the nickname Skunky. And with the Florida humidity, uh, I can smell pretty darn ripe down there. So I use that Manscaped Ball Deodorant to, to make the Squashicles smell fresh as a daisy and the Ball Toner to freshen up when Skunk turns to funk. Maybe we should start calling you Flowers instead of Skunky. Well, Skunky, if you or your Squatch Buddies or any listeners out there want to groom safely, and who doesn't, head over to manscaped.com and enter code NIGHTMERICA for 20% off plus free shipping off your order. For one more time, that's... Squatchscaped! No, no it's not. It's Manscaped. Manscaped. The right tools for the job. Now we're back, and we're going to talk about the bell. I don't have to say it like that, but I just choose to. Bell witch. 
Do it. Why not? It's our podcast. Yeah. I can use whatever voice I want. Heck yeah. You want me to put some effects on it? No. (laughs) Can you? Are we at that level of audio I think I can do it. I did it on one Patreon episode of ours, so I think I can do it. Okay. Sure. If you want to go for it. Cool. Try try your hand at the effects. Anyhow, let's take a trip on down to Adams, Tennessee. Actually, it was known as Red River at the time. But in 1804, John Bell and his family settled on 300 acres of land. It's a lot of land. Mm -hmm. Down there in Red River slash Adams, Tennessee. Now, beginning in 1817, strange happenings started to occur. Lasted for four years. Now, John Bell reportedly saw one night a strange animal, a black dog with the head of a rabbit. Don't quite understand those proportions. Yeah, I don't know what? if the, the rabbit head was the size of the dog yeah, body yeah. or if, if it was a rabbit-sized dog with the rabbit. I don't know. Well, they that's the thing. If it was a chihuahua and had a rabbit head, that's not that weird. Still odd, but less intimidating, yeah. perhaps. Yeah, than like a golden, a German shepherd with like a rabbit head. <laughs> yeah. I encourage any artistically inclined listeners yes. out there, give us your interpretation of a black dog with the head of a rabbit. Yep. So anyhow, John Bell shot at this thing several times, because that's what you do when you see something strange. You try to kill it. And the animal vanished. Maybe that was the beginning of all this. Maybe if he had just tried to be nice, none of the following would have occurred. But John Bell thought nothing more about this incident until that night when the Bell family started hearing beating sounds on the outside walls of their log house. Now, and I'm going to be leaning from a couple different sources. In 1894, so this is in 1817, but in 1894, Martin Ingram wrote about the authentic history of the Bell Witch, what was known to, what would come to be known as the Bell Witch. And in 1894, Ingram said that John's son, Drew Bell, when he was outside, so they heard beating sounds on the on their log cabin, Drew Bell saw an unknown bird perched on a fence, I think of a large size, and that flew off. Yes, extraordinary size is the exact word. Hmm. And the daughter, Betsy, this is kind of creepy, observed a girl in a green dress swinging from the limb of an oak tree. Meanwhile, Dean, who was an enslaved person on the Bell family, was claimed to have been followed by a large black dog. Now, the Bell boys occasionally would see this animal again and try to shoot at it, and to no avail. So over time, activity started happening in the Bell house. John Bell and then his daughter Betsy were the main targets for all of these antics, we'll say. Betsy would experience sensations that felt like pins being stuck in her. She would be slapped by an unknown force. Mm. Witnesses 
would say they would hear the smacking sound and then see a red mark develop on the side of her face. The Bell children, overall, blankets were pulled from beds. Family members were scratched and kicked and had their hair pulled. There was also sounds of gnawing like rats on bedposts. Ew. Now, initially, the family kept it to themselves at first. Maybe it was fear of persecution. Remember, this is 1817. Mm-hmm. Was it? Even though it was a couple hundred years or less than a couple hundred years, you know, that thought of Salem, of the events in Salem, probably still rang true, especially in an area like Red River, Tennessee, very religious area. Maybe they were afraid of their of persecution coming home to them. Mm-hmm. However, James Johnston, who was a family friend, they did finally reach out to him. John Bell reached out to him. Johnston stayed over at the house. He himself experienced activity. And after that, not saying James Johnston is to blame, but who knows? Soon after that, news of this activity started to spread, and we came to know of this as the Bell Witch. People came from all around. Some say as far away as New York came to check out the Bell House. Well, as people came, as more attention was given to this thing, this entity began beating the children more severely, tripping adults. Intensity increased. And as time went on, the Bells themselves began hearing faint, whispering voices. At first, these voices were too weak to understand. Sounded maybe like an old woman singing songs, singing church hymns even. But the voice became even more clear. And then at times it sounded almost low and melodic. And at other times it would be a shrill shriek. Even once, one of the reports said that this entity quoted word for word two separate sermons that were being preached at the same time (sighs) on the same day 13 miles apart. Oh my god. Now this this Bell Witch was also a bit of a busybody because it also shared gossip about activities in other households. Okay, now this I can get into. Right. Your own Spill personal... the tea, girlfriend. Yeah. Your own personal uh I don't know, is Perez Hilton still a thing? Your own personal yeah. Perez. And even at times it would seem so this is it was known as by it was known as possessing by location, which means that it could exist in two different spots at the same time, and could even supposedly leave the house for brief moments to visit other homes. Sort of like, hey, what's going on at Britt's house? Boom! Bell Witch pops over and finds out. Great. Now this is from the Democrat Union in 1978. They relay the story of Andrew Jackson, and this is a big part of the Bell which history. So John Bell Sr. and some of the sons, and I believe Bell's brothers, served with Andrew Jackson in the Battle of New Orleans before Andrew Jackson became president. And also, of course, is to blame for the pretty much genocide of a lot of indigenous Americans, mm-hmm. trailed tears. Andrew Jackson was not a great guy, even though he's on the $20 bill. So, General Andrew Jackson traveled from Nashville to Adams, Tennessee, to investigate. And according to the story, as reported by the Democrat Union and as part of the lore of the Bell Witch, 
He was nearing the Bell Farm when the wheels of his wagon became locked. No amount of effort from his men, who, was, who were with him, would budge the vehicle from resting on flat, dry land. Soon, a sharp, sharp metallic voice was heard from the direction of some nearby bushes. This voice said, All right, General, let the wagon move on. I will see you again tonight. And the bell witch kept her word. (gasps) She was out in full force that night, pinching and slapping Betsy Bell, pulling covers off off of Jackson's men. And they wouldn't stay in the house, so they were out in the tents. But even those tents outside were being torn down. Now, one of the men claimed to be a witch tamer. After several uneventful hours, he pulled out a shiny pistol and said that with the silver bullet, he could kill any evil spirit it came in contact with. Let's also acknowledge that if you shoot a bullet at an insubstantial entity, it's just going to hit whatever is behind it. Yeah. So watch out for anyone that's trying to shoot things with a silver bullet or other bullets. Anyhow. So this witch tamer went on to say that the reason he could not kill this entity was because whoever had been disturbing the bells were was scared of his silver bullet, okay. which is a likely story. Anyhow, the man started to scream and jerking his body, con- complaining that he was being stuck with pins and beaten severely. And I like this. It was said that, and this is from uh, another document, uh, another book associated with the story, but he received a strong, swift kick to his posterior (laughs) from an invisible foot, which sent him right out the front door. Okay, I love the Bell Witch. So after, after his visit, Jackson returns to Nashville, I believe, and said, By the Eternal, I saw nothing, but I heard enough to convince me that I'd rather fight the British than to deal with this torment they call the Bell Witch. This visit is questioned, but it seemed to be the coining of the title Bell Witch. That seems to be where that Mm. comes from. So time goes on, and the Bell Witch, this entity, then announces its next intention. To kill John Bell. It was even said that the Bell Witch was heard saying, Mr. Bell is a bad man. Was he? Well, he was. There's some court documents and uh, parish documents, I guess. Parish meaning the town, not just the church. That he was involved in some stuff, but whether or not he was really a bad guy or not, I don't think we really have. Okay a clear sense of that. But according to the Bell Witch, Mr. Bell's a bad man. So in 1820, after four years of this, Mr. Bell, he's approaching his 70s, he was having trouble eating, struggling to eat, having a hard time swallowing. He was experiencing what we know are seizures in today's medicine. And while this is happening, the entity, who was already known for really just ugly talk and cursing at people, and laughing at other people's misery. 
I'm sorry. The Bell Witch is totally my vibe. You're on the Bell Witch. I'm also side. not well, convinced that the Bell Witch isn't my two-year-old niece. Like that's <laughs> totally how Sid lives her life. Does sound like a vindictive toddler. Yeah. Anyhow, the witch was laughing at John Bell's inability to swallow at his misfortune. And side note here, which maybe might just make you like the Bell Witch more. Lucy Bell, who was John well John Bell's wife, was one of maybe only three people that the witch seemed to actually like mm-hmm. and, and left her alone as being nice to her, would do nice things for her. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, John Bell. John Bell's having a hard time swallowing. The witch is laughing at his misfortune. In 1920, John Bell breathed his last breath. And it turns out that he was perhaps poisoned. And from the Bell Witch website, they even say that John Bell Jr. Found a vial of poison next to John Bell. John Bell Jr., it's kind of a dickish move, gave some of this poison to the cat, which died instantly. Maybe you just wanted to see if it was actually poison. I don't know. It seemed like there's another way to do this. Or this this kid's got the McDonald triad and is a sociopath. Could be. Well, John Bell Jr. gave some of it to the cat. The cat dies. And then the entity speaks up. Explain, exclaiming joyfully, I gave old Jack a big dose of that last night, which fixed him. I don't I don't know if that's how the bell witch sounded. <laughs> no, I'm into that's it. Keep my, going. <laughs> my dramatic interpretation. I don't think I can do a witchy voice. I, I can't. My voice doesn't go that high. Anyhow, John Bell Jr. then threw the vial into the fireplace where it burst into a bright bluish flame and shot up the chimney. Again, this is somewhat questionable, but let's let it ride. So anyhow, and then because the Bell Witch is not to be silenced by the mere death of John Bell, family and friends go to the graveyard. They go to send off John Bell And the entity can be heard laughing loudly and singing drinking songs. Songs about brandy. And the legend is that the singing did not stop until the very last person left the graveyard. Now, after this time, things started to quiet down a little bit for the Bell Witch. However... During all this, during the sickness of John Bell, during the these four years, Betsy, who again was the other target of the Bell Witch, Betsy came to fall for a man by the name of Joshua Gardner. And the Bell Witch did not like this mm. and repeatedly told Betsy not to marry Joshua Gardner. Well, Betsy was not to be dissuaded by the Bell Witch, even though when they would go off on walks or spend time at the cave, which will come back into play later, apparently the Bell Witch would not leave them alone. And when John Bell died, she was newly engaged to Joshua Gardner. However, perhaps because of the death of her father, she was convinced to break off her engagement and so consider December 20th, 1820 is when John Bell died. 
And in March 1821, just a couple months later, is when Betsy broke off her engagement with Joshua Gardner. Or maybe that was just an excuse. Maybe she it just ran its course and she's like, I would yeah. love to marry you, but you know, the whole oh witch thing. Whole totally. killer witch thing. Anyhow, the haunting did die down a bit after John Bell's death. Now, during this time, pretty quiet, but then the Bell Witch came back. And she started appearing to John Bell Jr. Actually, the witch came back and said, Hey, how are you? I'm still here. I'm going away again. Maybe on holiday. She's Study got, abroad. Yeah. Haunting haunting abroad. She's got a timeshare. You know? What entity, yeah. What entity doesn't want to explore Europe, do a good haunting abroad, Cruise. and en- enjoy the timeshare? Yeah. Anyhow, so the Bell Witch said, I'll be back in seven years. Oh. And then she returned and started appearing to John Bell Jr. in 1828. And in this time, it seems like less malevolent, and instead, three nights in a row, she would talk to John Bell Jr. about the past, present, and future, and it is said that she even had accurate predictions of the Civil War, which was to come, and other events. Hmm. And then she said, okay, I'm out again, but I will return in 107 years, and I will appear to your direct descendant. Now, the story was already, Saturday Evening Post was already writing about the Bell Witch in 1856. In 1868, the Bell Witch was blamed for murder. There was, so Lucinda Rawls, who was one of the descendants of the Bell family, spoke about this in the Authenticated History of the Bell Witch. This is Ingram's book. We mentioned Martin Ingram. In 1894, he interviewed Lucinda Rawls, who said, the Bell Witch was and is still a great scapegoat. Every circumstance out of the regular order of things is attributed to the witch. It has not been long since a man claiming to be the witch was waylaid and murdered by two men who were cleared on the plea that the murdered man had bewitched them. So that's referring to the 1868 Bell Witch case, Hmm. or Bell Witch trial case. So, years after John Bell died, the Bell Witch was very much entrenched in American culture. And in 1880, actually the Bell Witch was referenced in another newspaper account of hauntings. The Daily American was talking about another haunted house case and said that it is an actual fact that several hundred intelligent people of Springfield, Tennessee, not Illinois, have been so excited over the noise as to go night after night to listen to it. And then they reference a Bell Witch. About 30 years ago, Robertson County had a sensation similar to this known as the Bell Witch, and people came from all parts of the country to hear or see her. So. This became a part of American history and American folklore, really, because it's hard to pin down what of this was real or not. But the question remains, who was the Bell Witch? So we say witch, or was it an entity or yeah. a demon? So, or a toddler. Or your niece, yeah. 
In one case, it was claimed to be the spirit of a Native American whose grave had been disrupted by one of the bellboys. Mm. Which is kind of interesting because that plays into a trope that continues today in horror movies. Native American burial yeah. ground. Poltergeist. Or is it exorcist? Yeah. Poltergeist. Poltergeist. That's what At a, but and, and a lot of stories, though. A lot of stories. Yeah. Even, even the Amityville case yes. is supposedly involved with that. So, At a different time, it was claimed that... The Bell Witch was either connected to or was herself the Bell family neighbor, Kate Batts. Now, this is why the Bell Witch is often referred to as Kate. So in 1894, when Martin Ingram published The Authenticated History of the Bell Witch, he wrote that the haunting was perpetrated by Kate or old Kate Batts's witch, so a uh, spirit associator. Kate Batts was said to be an outcast in the Red River community, said to have little money, maybe doing hard physical labor for her family's farm. Her husband was apparently paralyzed in an accident, so the upkeep of her farm was her responsibility. And she was said to have a habit of trying to impress people and was known for making a scene and trying to be the center of attention. This, this comes from Pat Fix, Fitzhugh, who is a modern-day folklorist and historian when it comes to the Bell Witch story, and that's where the, that Kate Bat anecdote comes from. Mm. But Kate herself strongly denied any connection to the haunting However, she was still anchored to it. And so then we started to know the name Kate. There's also the Bell Witch Cave. So, which is a place that you can visit to this day. Mm. So, according to the Democrat Union, a newspaper, the cave was part of the original plot of land where the Bell Farm once stood. It's no longer there. There's a lot of paranormal activity that's been reported there. And one of the legends of the cave goes back to at least 1934 in a book by Charles Bailey Bell. Now, he is the grandson of John Bell Jr. Mm. And remember, we said the Bell Witch would come back to mm -hmm. visit the relative. And Ooh. now, again, it's a good way to sell a book. But this guy was yeah. a neurologist, Charles Bailey Bell. He didn't need to write this book, but who knows? Maybe he wanted attention. Anyhow, Charles Bailey Bell added to this folklore the story that Betsy Bell and friends were in the cave playing around there when a boy got stuck. And then a voice cried out, I'll get him out. Or maybe to use my other voice, yeah, yeah. I'll get him out. <laughs> that kind of felt like one of the chimney cleaners in Mary Poppins. No, that would be, oh, get him out. <laughs> if I was going to do Chim Chimmery, Chim Chimmery, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm definitely not going to sing a Disney tune. We're because... definitely making a playlist for this episode. Yeah. So, anyhow, the boy felt hands grasping his feet, according to Charles Bailey Bell. He said that his, uh, that Betsy told him this story. Boy felt hands grasping his feet and he was pulled out of the hole. And the Bell Witch, who was still invisible at this point gave these 
young children, these explorers in the cave, a lecture on reckless cave exploring. <laughs> There's also there's also a story associated with the cave and the Bell Witch that there's a spring that runs through the cave and to the outside, some 15 feet, and there's a 20-foot drop into a pool. And so there's a waterfall, essentially, and that it was essentially like a showering place for local men. And one day, a man was down there washing away, you know, Got your your weekly shower. Mm-hmm. He was also with his son, so let's not get creepy, oh, okay. Brett. I, this, the whole vibe of men showering in a waterfall felt like it's another tone to me. Yeah, well, you say that, but it's like that's like eroticizing pirates, <laughs> Sasquatch. Yeah, I was gonna say pirates. Yeah, sure, it sounds sexy, like these rogues on their boats and whatnot. Until you consider probably the incredible lice and scurvy yeah, yeah. and body odor and all that and suddenly it's not so sexy <laughs> anyhow a man is taking his weekly shower we're also talking about a weekly shower so there's yeah. a lot of funk a lot of funk to yeah. wash off anyhow he had forgotten his soap and he asked his son to run back to the house for soap but before the boy could run away to do this errand a phantom bar of soap rolled <gasps> down the bluff to the bathing man so, hmm. you know, or uh, which I was, find helpful. Was it helpful or was he sending his son away and the guy who was waiting around the corner for him rolled the soap out to him by mistake? Could be that. I'm just saying. Little homoeroticism yep. going into the Bell Witch story. Okay, why not? <laughs> Anyhow, and within the cave, many people, and I, I've heard this, I've never experienced this, but strange encounters inside the cave, people call it Kate. And some mm. people say they've actually seen this spirit clearly and that she looks like a young woman with a long with long black hair. Other people say they've been touched, pinched, slapped by a presence. One boy supposedly had his his ball, baseball cap snatched from his head and then it ended up on a rock 20 feet above the cave Whoa. floor. Now we also have to think like, I don't think there's any visual confirmation of the Bell Witch, so we don't know if. She was a a young woman with long black hair. But one of the theories is that perhaps after the farmhouse, after the log cabin, she went to inhabit the cave. But whatever, wherever she is, whatever the story is, we do know that today, the Tennessee Historical Commission marks this event along U.S. Route 41. The story of the Bell Witch reportedly, I think, at least I think you can, I'm confident saying that there are, there's inspiration to be found within the Blair Witch Project movie. Mm. The cave itself is part of the National Register of Historic Places. It's definitely part of an American folklore, so much so that there was one story at least of a a young girl who was with her family visiting the cave, took a rock back with her, and as the father was about to be deployed to Iraq, implored his wife to send the rock back to the cave lest he incur some sort of curse or bad luck back in 2015 because this story continues back in 2015 a psychic said and i don't know that there's any factual basis to this but that betsy was being sexually abused 
and that John Bell was not necessarily to blame, but was poisoned by an enslaved person mm. because John Bell could not protect his daughter. And to this day, some people claim they see children, phantom children, playing in the area at night. They see candlelight moving throughout the dark fields. And there are still descendants of the Bell Witch family. Now, I mentioned Pat Fitzhugh. He's the author of The Bell Witch Haunting and The Bell Witch, The Full Account. And he is more or less the the preeminent folklorist and historian on this. But he was interviewed by USA Today and was talking to Lucy Bell Butler, who is a direct descendant of John Bell Jr. And in 2018, Lucy Bell Butler claimed that she and her daughter have seen this black dog from the original legend and that they would also see a giggling girl running around their house at night. And this woman, Lucy Bell Butler, also says, Lucy, named after John Bell's wife, said the entity did not like her father, and this is modern times, and Lucy Bell Butler says that when she was a child, her father was about to host a gathering at her home. Supposedly her father was involved in... in the mafia, mm. and that her father had purchased his stereo system, which was quite luxe in the 1960s when this story occurred, and walked downstairs, her father walked downstairs to find the living room filled with thousands of crickets. What? Marching, marching towards the music room <gasps> where they climbed into the stereo system and ruined it. Oh my God. The like story a, has everything. <laughs> yeah, definitely an interesting paranormal. Yeah. Anyhow, this is. I don't know if the Bell Witch was actually a witch, if we just call it a witch, if it was an entity, or maybe it was nothing. Who knows? But this is one of the most important ghost stories in American history, definitely an important part of American folklore. And I would encourage you, you can read up so much in so many different, so many different outlets. Associated Press has talked about this. The Chicago Tribune, USA Today, Pat Fitzhugh, I mentioned him as the author. So many resources to check out on this one. And so that is the story of the Bell Witch. I could go on longer, but, you know. People don't want to listen to this podcast for <laughs> two, two hours. hours. We're not the Joe Rogan show. <laughs> Who do we think we are? <laughs> Who do we think we are? But We're no, gonna... that was really interesting. I had not heard of the Bell Witch before, so that was a great well, story to hear. Road trip to Tennessee. Before we get out of here, I know we're we're going to talk a little about paranormal pop culture picks, but who are your favorite pop culture witches? Um, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. That was like my favorite show growing up. So with Melissa Joan Hart, also yes. Clarissa. Yes, I yeah, loved it. Great. And that's a that's a great one. It's I, on I Hulu right show. now. If anyone wants to rewatch it, is it? it I is. would assume. I thought. I, I just assumed that would be a Disney Plus thing. Um, I thought so too. I don't have Disney Plus, and so while actually reading, like researching for this episode, I like to have some TV on in the background. And um, Sabrina the Teenage Witch was on Hulu. Can I, can I do a little bit of a humble brag here? Oh my God, always. 
Did you go on a date Melissa with her? Melissa Joan Hart. No, Melissa Joan Hart follows me on Twitter. That's like going on a date. That is like but going on a date. I, so I already mentioned Elizabeth Montgomery from Bewitched. Mm-hmm. I loved Bewitched as a kid. I still love Bewitched. But have you ever seen The Witches? Based on the Roald Dahl book. Yes. And Jim Henson production. Yes. So that's, that's definitely leans into the negative stereotypes, but Angelica Houston in that. Yes. Great. Yes. Okay, I know what you're talking about. Yes. You've got in the weird weird sisters from Macbeth, the yep. witches and that double double boil and trouble. trouble. The there's the I think they're called the Gray Sisters from Greek myth, Perseus. Mm-hmm. Did you ever hear that one? No. Where they were three witch sisters who shared one eyeball and one tooth amongst Oh barf, them. barf, barf, barf. That's not okay yeah. in COVID times. Well, it's also tricky if you're the one that has the eyeball and you misplace it, because how can you find it? But my, I, I was, my favorite, I think, has to be Angela Lansbury from Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. Yeah, that's good. Where she was a witch that fought Nazis, and I hate Nazis, and yeah, so witches fighting Nazis, I think that's, that's, uh, we could even do a whole story on Nazis and the occult. Because that's that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Um, but but bed knobs and broomsticks, you know, witches fighting Nazis. Yeah. But but that's not my that's not my pick of of paranormal pop culture. You go first. Well, actually, it's funny you had a favorite witches because my paranormal pop culture was going to be Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And, like, reliving oh. my childhood and watching that this week has been great. I love Harvey Kinkle. It's just, like, so quintessential my childhood. So, yeah, watch that on Hulu. Yeah, I think that's an excellent pick. Well, my pick is based on a book that is coming out. Has It's not out yet, but I've seen this photographer's work before. Her name is Frances F. Denny, and the book is Major Arcana, Portraits of Witches in America. And it is a photos photo-based exploration of modern day witches from all over America. And it's really it, it photo it's it's a collection of photographs about this very diverse group of people who identify as witches. And it also has essays by Pam Grossman, who the blurb quotes as the terry gross of witches which is amazing i love what terry a compliment gross. yeah but we're talking about neo-pagans wiccans herbalists cool occultists and this book is coming out and i i just i wanted to if you will indulge me i want to just read a a, a quote from francis f denny yeah about witches and we can leave on lead leave on this no yes so francis f denny says quote after spending three years thinking about witches and witchcraft i've come to think of witch as an identity that belongs to such a diversity of people that there really can't be only one way to be one which means something different to everyone i've photographed but if i had to locate an underlying characteristic i'd say that witchcraft is about conjuring an internal power source, whether that is used reflexively towards the self 
or projected outwards towards others. I see witchcraft as affecting internal and external change, and in my experience, the witch is a person who is self-possessed, who is maybe a little or a lot anti-authoritarian, and who is interested in embracing the murkier, less conventionally acceptable sides of ourselves. And I think that is just a positive note to end. Yeah, yeah, I like that. So check out that book, Major Arcana, and yeah, thanks for getting witchy in an extra long, hopefully spellbinding episode of Nightmarica. You like that? I did. That was great. If you like Nightmarica, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash Nightmarica and consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Give us a follow on social media and share this with your friends. And if you'd like to share your paranormal stories or even seek paranormal advice, which is for entertainment purposes only, email nightmericashow at gmail.com. <laughs>